guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me for this, another special episode of Amateur Altours. You can follow us on Twitter at AltoursPod, or you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. As always, it would mean so much to both Brian and I if you could take a moment out of your busy day and leave a review or rating on whatever platform you listen to the show on. The feedback is definitely much appreciated. So... Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining Jay and I on our second part of our conversation about all things film. Uh, like I said, I feel like the part one, we really got to know Jay more about his creative process and him as a person, and it was uh, really fun for me. And and like I said, that's kind of the appetizer, in my opinion, of just before we, before we have two movie nerds just really go all out. And, but in, and like I said, this is where the true film buffs come out, and... I thought instead of taking the, the route of talking about one film in particular, that we would break out another episode of What Am I Missing? For those of you who missed the last episode, the basic rules are that myself and Jay are going to be recommending content that we think people are absolutely missing out on. Now, there are no limitations to what we will discuss or recommend, just that we think people need to see it. So there's no time frame re- uh, limitation, there's no media recommend- or, um, limitation, just anything. So last episode was, I thought, a raging success with Dana Buckler from the Dana Buckler Show, and I am excited to continue this segment with Jay here. So before we begin, Jay, just another uh, welcome, welcome back, and before we begin, I just wanted to throw out, is there anywhere that the viewer can follow you, follow the show, and just get really in tune with you, just to start off right away? Right away. Absolutely. Well, first thing, uh, thanks for having me on again, Mike. I really enjoyed last time and looking forward to doing this as well. And I enjoyed your show with Dana as well. I, I messaged you after that, like, hey, man, can I be on one of those? Because <laughs> I, I love Dana and love his shows and stuff. But yeah, folks can follow uh, the podcast that I'm a part of called uh, Filmstrip. Uh, we're at, on Twitter at Filmstrip Pod. Filmstrippodcast.com is the website. And if you search for Filmstrip Podcast, you'll find us on all your podcatchers and you can download. We used to be Continuous Play Podcast, Filmstrip, but we've just changed to Filmstrip strip podcast now and that's how folks can uh, keep up with me and you can keep up with me personally on twitter at jay skipworth awesome and and like you said like after that episode release you reached out to me and it's funny because i was literally within either that day or, or the day after i was going to reach out to you and ask you to be on the show so you know it just kind of worked <laughs> out in itself so with all that being said without further ado jay do you want to start us off with your first recommendation Absolutely. I'm going to start by recommending a documentary that is currently available on Hulu. I'm a big documentary sucker. I love good docs, and especially when it's about something that I've followed for a number of years. And I'm going to recommend Laura Ferber's We Are Columbine, um, which is on Hulu right now. Um, It highlights the stories of four freshmen. Um, Laura was one of the freshmen during the, you know, deadliest school shooting in U.S. history at the time in 1999 and sort of what they went through and then the, the year aftermath and sort of where they are now almost 20 years later. And it's, I, I'm a, I was in college when Columbine happened. Um, I were following in the news. I've read Dave Cullen's book, which I would, I would put over in another medium as sort of the definitive Columbine story. But that story is very much about the killers and then a, a good bit about the victims in the town but this documentary the thing that i really love about it is it is all about the survivors you know they don't mention the killers by name um they i think there's a newscast that kind of flashes one of them on once but they, they don't talk about that they talk about i was in the science classroom and this is what i did 
And then the way she's done it is she's got a mix of them sitting just in a, you know, standard interview background and talking. And then they're at the school talking and reliving. And it's like same conversation cut together. So I love that because it's so engrossing and engaging. And it's about it's about an hour and a half long and totally worth your time if um, you remember that story. Um, but if you just like good, um, you know, human interest documentaries and stuff, I can't put over Laura Ferber's We Are Columbine any more than that. I mean, it is it is absolutely wonderful and totally worth uh, time to check out on Hulu if you've got that. Or even if you don't, do a free trial and watch it because it is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and I I also really love documentaries. I love just like I said, it's like I said last episode. I'm really fascinated by real stories, personalized stories. Uh, we were talking off air and and last episode. I that I made a documentary. I love documentaries, but I think that this is a really unique recommendation. I have not seen this documentary. I don't have Hulu, but you know I have friends that do, so I can you know bum it off them. But it's a story of survival, and it's also very topical with, un- unfortunately very topical, about, you know, all the school shootings that are occurring within the United States a- alone, and it's not a matter of, you know, it- it's, you kind of turn on the news, you're like, oh, it was another one, how many people died, and now we're becoming, I feel like as a society, we're starting to become desensitized to it. It reminds me, and this is like really messed up, when I was in high school, I was in a global diplomacy class, and we would watch... PBS NewsHour all the time, and whenever they would talk about, you know, the market bombings or just suicide bombings, I became so numb to it. I was like, okay, like, what are the statistics? Like, what are the casualties? And I kind of feel like that that's happening with me now. Like, every time I turn on the news, it's, there was a school shooting. There was, whether it be something like Parkland or actually the Great Mills High School shooting, that's actually, the Great Mills is the rival high school of where I grew up. So it was very shocking that I had heard about that. And then, and and even what's even more messed up is a week before that great mill shooting, the, the sheriff's County actually stopped, uh, two, two students that were going to actually shoot up my high school that I went to. And, and and that and this was like two weeks after Parkland because and they got inspired by the Parkland shooter and then you know and this comes all back to Columbine like this was I feel like before the only school shooting I can think of was the I Hate Mondays girl in the 1970s and and then you know there I I think there were I I, I read a few instances where there were threats against schools. and then and probably in like the South and then people showed up with guns and said all right come on in. You want to come here? And I don't want to get political about that, but then, you know, Columbine really changed the game about how, because it's not so much, it's, it's about like the incident that happens, but it's also how the media's portrayal of what happened. This fa- And also the internet was really kind of coming into full swing and that, you know, there are, you know, chat rooms where they idolize the killers of Columbine, where it's this like really weird fascination with these killers, whether it be, you know, these girls having crushes on them and idolizing them or just people trying to break down their mindset. And this is something that's been explored in films. You know, I think predominantly Gus Van Sant's Elephant, which very heavily inspired from Columbine. And then, and then, you know, all these documentary series or just, you know, like news media pieces. I think of, uh, for me, it's a bowling for Columbine with Michael Moore. Now that, that I feel like is kind of all over the place as Michael Moore's kind of style is, but yeah. you know Columbine is such like 
everyone knows that that moment in history, and it really changed the game for what you know these mass shooters are. So what what I what I would recommend for anybody that's interested in just learning more about it, and you want to see both sides of it, and you want to sort of put away like the media stuff, because the best part of Dave Cullen's book is he was part of the media covering it, and the premise of his book is we got this so incredibly wrong. And how did we get it wrong as media? And then what was the actual story? He spent 10 years putting it together. And so if you want to know like why and how it happened and all of that stuff, Cullen's book is the way to go. And you can get an audiobook version of it and it's, it's fantastic. It's about 11 hours or so. So I mean, your you know, standard audiobook length, but it's really good. Cullen's book's an easy read if you, if you're, prefer to read it but if you want to see what it was like for the people on the ground who lived through it and and again had to live with the fact that the media sort of branded all this stuff i mean one of the people she she profiles was an athlete and she talks about like i had to go home every night and listen to people talk about like how the athletes were picking on everybody and that was that was not my experience at columbine and then all the other coaches going like that didn't go down here and they've got the principal talking and stuff it's a story of survival and i think that's what the neatest thing about the columbine story is even to this day and it's one reason this doc just really worked for me was I watch a lot of documentaries too. And I'll be honest with you, I'll put on you know some and I'm like halfway into it. I'm realizing like, dad, this ain't really doing that for me or I'm not learning anything. I didn't already know this one. I got to hear stories from people I didn't know about because I, you know, again, I'd read that book and I felt like I kind of had the story in my head. And then to hear their perspective of it was just another good, you know, second chapter or maybe like a reverse telling of it, kind of like his and her, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I don't know. I was I'm really good. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. And it's sad that that's the reality we live in. Um, you know, there were more other school shooters before these guys, but this was the first one that unfolded on live television. Yeah, I, I definitely want to check this film out because like like we've been saying, it's a story of the survivors. And, and, and so much in these cases, even today, you don't hear about the survivors. If Or if you do, it's very politicized. I mean, just look at Parkland. They took kids that survived, and both sides, the, the liberal media and the conservative media, took survivors of one of the most horrific things I can think of, like teenagers, children, surviving a school shooting, they think they're going to die, and and it now became this political issue about gun control. And it's like, come on, this is not like you, this is not what this is about. It's about, it's about that this, this happened and hearing those survival, survivor stories. And then, you know, the media just really portraying it. So I, I'm really glad that you recommended this documentary because it's something it's something that I think people need to see in today's day and age as well as I'm sure it's 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 a spectacular uh coverage well, of this subject on, on the other side of it too just beyond the subject matter too it is incredibly well made I mean I can't emphasize that enough how much time and care her and her producers put into this thing and again just that example I gave you of where an interview is happening in just a closed room and then it's happening at the school and the conversation just seamlessly blends between the story, I mean, what she had to do was convince her old friends to tell the story multiple times, and one time in the place it was happening. That's a that's an impact, right? Yeah. And and, exactly. and the, again, to have it flow where you're just watching it, and like I didn't even notice it was cutting, you know, until a minute. I was like, wait a minute, weren't we in a room a minute ago? And now he's in his classroom, and I was like, holy cow! So that it's well made too. Like it's one thing to have good subject matter, and then also to be well made on top of it. That uh, this this one's definitely in the rotation. Well, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to to watching this one. So I uh, I'm gonna so with that being said, I'm gonna transition into my first recommendation and and so 
last episode, I started off with a music video, Creole Cuisine, but it was very, the video itself was very much inspired from the French New Wave, and I just thought that was very fascinating to watch, like this modernistic spin on such a classic period in film, and so, and that kind of got me thinking, like, I really do enjoy music videos, and, and now I started this segment where I just, I'm going to discuss music videos or, or music uh, compilations in film. And, but I, I still want to keep this, this idea and theme going that my first recommendation is going to be a music video. Because there are a lot of bad ones out there, but there are also a fair amount of very interesting and unique ones. So I've been wanting to talk about this, this particular music video for a while. And now I'm so excited to be able to talk about it. So this music video is it's called Time in a Tree by the artist uh, Raleigh Ritchie, also known as Jacob Anderson. And if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you also might know him on a little TV show. His name is Grey Worm from Game of Thrones. Now, I did not realize that he was a musician until like two or three weeks ago. This came up on, as I was looking, literally looking up music videos, this came up as the recommended YouTube. Because this song, or this single, was released, I think in September of 2018. So it's still like relatively new, but I feel like I should have seen it by now. And man, I was blown away. When I had seen this, I immediately was like, this is going to be the, the next recommendation on what am I missing. So, Jay, I know the answer to this question, so it's not a matter of did you watch it, it's what are your thoughts on this video? I, I mean, first thing, I, I was as blown away as you is that like, Grey Worm has a music career, and I I got that you know notice from you, and I you know, pulled it up, and I, I watched it on my phone, and I was like, holy cow. This is incredibly catchy, but I couldn't really see it well. So I got home, put it on the television where I have YouTube, you know, lined into it and watched it like twice in a row. And the first time I just sort of just sat there and let it wash over me, this guy holding this little, looks like a bonsai tree. It's him, you know, in an elevator and all these people coming and going and this, the music's going behind him and he's, he's lip syncing to it and stuff. I, I really dug it because it's got a, it's got a touch of like, 90s to current euro pop feel but it's got this sort of i don't know the chorus is like this warbled sample voice i don't know if it's him or if it's something else going behind it that's singing the hook but it it's a it's a ballad is the thing and it's almost like a funeral dirge uh, which is weird to sell over in this brightly colored video and I love the contrast to this thing. So I, mean, I really dug it. I thought it was cool. And I was recording an episode of Filmstrip with Ron from Filmstrip last night. And I said, hey, did you know Grey Worm has a music video? And he's like, what? And I sent it to him and he watched it as we were sitting there getting ready to record. So I, I'm already passing it along. That's how much I liked it. Yeah. And I, when I watched it, I immediately sent it to my buddies like, yo, Grey Worm has a music video and it's catchy as hell. And and there's, a, there's many different facets of why I like this video. For one, the song is very personalized and I actually did some research about so I think genius on YouTube like the YouTube I think it's like a magazine kind of like GQ they sit they sat with him and asked him to break down the lyrics line by line and by verse by chorus and 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 I also read a separate article about like him describing writing it so he wrote this song so I don't know how long his music career has been I think since maybe like late like 2010s so like maybe like 2012 to 2016 and 
he had taken a break once Game of Thrones really got into full swing. So he has taken a two-year swing, and this was the first single release since like that break. And from what I gathered, like reading on Reddit and other other sites, that he's really of like this is like a good step in the right direction of evolving. And and from what I listened to, all of his songs are really personalized. But this one, it's all about his struggle with anxiety and depression, and I think that really comes through. Um, and so the music video, it's also so simple, but so effective. It's just, it's, I mean, it's like this box of, of the elevator and it's just the camera movement. It's just a simple dolly pan back and forth from this elevator. So you get really intimate and close with, with, uh, with Jacob Anderson. Then we back up and it's also the details of everything I really enjoy. So for instance, I turned up the, the brightness a little bit and the outside of the elevator, it's stars. So and that kind of goes with the motif of being the astronaut at the end of the video, but it's just stars and then you know the counter slowly going up. There's at one point when like the mute when the the lights start to really flicker that that's just you know going up and down at like really ridiculous speed. I also I also really like the interpretation from that I got from this and that the visuals are showing key moments in his life, and so you have the growing up with. The little kid and the mo- well, the little kids throughout the video, but you know the mother holding the toddler, and then you have the angsty teenager coming in and just standing in the background, and then you know his dual like doppelganger coming in, being signed, but he's also like he, there's a moment where he just screams because it's too much, and then at the end he finally well he embraces his him uh, the angsty teenager and himself and saying like you know don't grow up, just live the live in the moment, and then you know, he embraces himself finally with, you know, I think with the astronaut, you know, he's putting the astronaut helmet on, but it's just so, and like listening to him talk about the lyrics, it's such a personalized song where he's coming to terms with his anxiety of, of being an artist and not thinking he's good enough and finally accepting himself. I just, I just love every aspect about this music video. Oh man. And that's the, the best kinds of the ones that can visually represent what is going on in the song and the lyrics. And then to hear somebody be able to tell you all of that is great as well that he breaks it down like that. I'm going to just go check that interview out now because I can totally relate to that. Like I, and I think I've heard him mention it before and I'll just put myself into this for a minute here. I'm very much an introvert, which surprises people when they've talked to me or meet me, but I'm very much like I can be on and all that stuff, but I, I have to plug in and kind of want to go hide in the tree every now and then and stuff like that. And that's what movies do for me. A lot of ways is let me do that. And that's why I do this stuff. But I, I totally read that as like, this is somebody who is gotten famous in nowadays, which is different than it was when I was coming up because, you know, a band would come up and they would take like five years to make it. And it was okay that it took them five years to make it. Now, if your first song's not good, you're done, you know? So this guy got on like the biggest show in the world, you know, then he got his music career going and it was like all this happened at the same time for him. And I could see like, that would blow my mind too, as somebody who's a little introverted, like, Whoa, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing tomorrow? And just the idea of every now and then, I just want to go climb inside the tree, shut the door. I get it. I, I totally dug that. And uh, I'm glad that he's put that out there because I, I mean, music is a, it's very therapeutic. I believe firmly in that. I have friends that you know went to counseling school with me that are, you know, they do music therapy. And I, I think it's been therapeutic for me at different times in my life uh, too. There's songs that I'll just get, can go and get lost in because it's, it's comfort. 
You know, it's in some ways it's comfort food. And this is that kind of song that I think is going to speak to a lot of people that people may not know about. So I'm glad you brought it to my attention because I'm definitely going to signal boost it everywhere I can as well. Yeah, and I'm already doing that. And I just love, you know, you were already getting at it with the, like, you know, the, the, the tree kind of being, it's like that quiet place. And he mentioned that when he was a kid, he used to climb trees a lot. And it was just like that kind of, it's off the ground. It's very, it's very insular. It's very by yourself and you're just out. It's uh, he, he describes it as, oh, you're up with the leaves. It's oxygen. It's good for you. And so, and, and some of the lines in this, like, like the chorus, um, like, I just want time in a tree, a place just for me. Really, really like that idea. But my favorite line is when he's talking about being a kid, where it's like, you can be a wizard, you can be a NASA, you could write fiction, you could tame raptors. Like, it's just, it's just, it kind of harkening back to like it's okay to think like this you could do what like when you're a kid you can do whatever you want and just kind of getting that anxiety of growing up but at the end you kind of come to terms with that and recognize like and, and you accept yourself and so I, I just really enjoyed this song I'm definitely passing it along and hopefully everyone listening this, like I'm gonna put a lot of uh like a link dump in the in the show notes so hopefully like definitely check this one out but with all that being said uh Jay what, what about your second pick for uh for this episode well, I'm going to go music video as well, and I sent you this one, so I'm, I'll be curious to hear what you think about it. But it's a song from a band I've been following since 2013. It's Against the Current Strangers again. This came out at the end of last year off of their Past Lives record. And I started watching these bands. The first band that like was a YouTube band that I really got into, Mike. And I'm a, I'm a lot older, so this is all cool to me that we have this now. And I saw this band, and they had a song called Closer Faster. It was just a rock song. And this girl, this little tiny girl, just belting the hell out of the vocals. And I was like, what is this? Because I once had a band, and I had you know a, a country band, and my two lead singers were both females. So I always dig bands that can do that and, and pull it off right as not just solo artists, but bands. And her name's Chrissy Costanza, and along with Daniel Gow and, and Will Ferry, they make up the band, and they were just a little rock outfit out of New York um, for years. And their sound has evolved through the years to where they, when they did the first full record in our bones, they had a lot of like electronica mixed in with the standard rock stuff. Now, Past Lives is, is an electronic record. Like it's and which is not something I normally would go for, but I'm a sucker for good hooks and pop songs, and they are loaded with them. And I absolutely love this song and love this album. When they did the video for it, I I was real curious to see how they make it come to life. And it's pretty much like Chrissy stuck in like this glass trapezoid elevator with water just pouring down on her. She's in full white gear, um, and it's not revealing or anything like that, but she's got this bright pink hair, and then the guys are just sort of flashing in different places around her. And I, I don't know, man, I just dug, I dug the song. I dug the fact that like, she's pounding on the glass because it's how you would imagine her performing the song, and it, it is basically how she performs. She's a very you know, energetic performer, and I, I love it, but it's a band that's still kind of under the radar, and it's a song and a video, I think, that's under the radar. So I wanted to put that out, and I sent it to you, so I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I I was not aware of this band. Like I I also like a good pop song. Like I, I I do like like it's it's kind of like a guilty pleasure because I feel like some pop today you're just like, "Oh my god." Like I hate like I hate Justin Bieber. Like, yeah, th- th- this is not like your top 40 pop band at all. Like they have yeah. that same kind of hook, but they're definitely on a different level than like Ariana Grande and stuff. Yeah, like I, that. I I don't like Ariana Grande. I don't like Miley Cyrus for the most part. I don't like Justin Bieber. Uh, I mean, I like Justin, like, but then it's like, I like Justin Timberlake, who's kind of even like old school pop, I would say, but uh, like Walk the Moon, I really like, 
I was not aware of this band, and I watched the video. I, I definitely like the song. I like her vocals. It, it, again, it's another, like, it seemed very personalized to her and, and the group, which I, I can always get behind that. And, and and it had real meaning. The video, I thought, was really interesting, and, like, I really liked the idea of, like, the trapezoid with, like, the fluorescence, and it, like, is extending. Kind of reminded me of Tron, in a way. And... And it also, I was getting flashbacks to the, uh, what, I think the Sia music video with Shia LaBeouf, and he's like trapped in the birdcage with the little girl, and they're dancing a little bit. The the one critique I have of the video is I, f- I think the, the editing is very jarring, in that it, it cuts way too quickly between, like, I never really understand what's going on. I... I just think there's it, there's just the cutting occurs way too rapidly for me, and I would do it another way. But I don't think it detracts from the song or the visuals. I I just thought it was a little jarring as I was watching that. But no, I really I I really enjoyed the like kind of clone version of herself, you know, dancing on the other side of the glass and kind of trying to figure out what this interpretation is. As of right now, I don't know what how I would interpret that. But I think there's something deeper there in the subtext of the song that I just haven't found yet but i i really i i enjoyed the song and i really did dig this the the style of the music video my, like i said my only gripe was that i thought the editing was a little bit jarring but other than that i thought it was a very well done oh no i think that's totally fair i mean it is definitely a, a jump cut and cut to cut you know moment i i read that as it's sort of the jumbled thoughts in this person's mind is she's the whole song is about like you wish you could just go back to when you even before you met somebody and you would think it's because I want to meet you again and fall in love with you again. But it's more like we would definitely be better off not knowing each other and and you would be better for it. And so would I. And I, that's how I kind of read the song. And, and they write a lot of stuff like that, man. They, they had a song on the previous record that I won't ruin the hook for, but it's called Roses. Go listen to that. And then when you get to it, it'll, it'll be one of those punches in the stomach that you didn't see coming. Huh. They're, they're notorious for that. So I, I dig, but that, that's a fair criticism. But I just think it's, it's again, as somebody who likes pop music but doesn't like the popular pop music right now, I like the style. And this, again, is a band I've followed for six years now. And I, I'm, I'm way older than their standard you know, demographic, but I have a friend that's, that's closer to your age uh, named Matt Presto, and he's a big fan of these guys too. And so he and I have like traded a ton of stuff back on these, them through the years, but um, I really, really dig their stuff, but I recommend their, their music and definitely recommend strangers again. Oh yeah, no. And I'm, I, I definitely want to check out a little bit more of their music and their visual style because I, I feel like uh, in, in today's day and age, it's, it's how you present yourself that also it, it, it accompanies your music. So I'm definitely going to check these guys out a little bit more. So thanks for, you know, going with the style with the music video. I very much appreciate that. So I, I'll get into my second recommendation. So I have an older film that was one of those that for the longest time, I it, it just kind of slipped on the on the back burner. Like I was like, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then when my uh, my second break rolled around from school, like my week break, I thought, you know what, this is the time to watch it. And so the film that I'm going to talk about is Rebel Without a Cause. And classic, classic film that I was like, I just have to watch it at this point, you know. James James Dean's last film before his tragic uh, car accident where he unfortunately died, which I thought was very fitting following Rebel Without a Cause, especially, the, like, we won't go into spoilers, but what happens in the film, and I think ultimately they don't make films like this anymore, and 
ultimately this film the theme is it's all about how the next generations are slowly degrading to something unrecognizable and but it's not like reefer madness where it's this cautionary tale i mean kind of, i think there's some caution in there but it's 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 this very great drama but before i get into like my like kind of general thoughts about the film have you seen this film and and if you have what are your thoughts on it Oh yeah, I I saw this one when I was in my late teens, early twenties. I think I finally came on television. It was one of those I'd heard people talk about, and we we didn't really have the internet then, so it was all just literally talk about stuff. And this came on, I don't know, it's TNT or or one of those. And I said, you know what? I hear people talk about this. I want to watch this. And I sat down and I watched. I think I watched it with my dad, uh, who had seen it when it came out, of course. And so you know, James Dean's very much part of his generation. And I've watched a lot of movies with my dad through the years. I mean, he's introduced me to a lot of stuff. And this one, like, I felt like I understood a lot more about my dad and his generation after watching this than I did before, even as a, you know, as a kid, basically, or just, you know, right out as a kid into a young adulthood. And what for me has always stuck out about this movie, though, it's not James Dean. And he's fantastic in it. Don't get me wrong. Um, It was Sal Mineo and Natalie Wood as like the, the friend characters, particularly Natalie Wood. In 1965, for a woman to deliver that performance, nowadays we would be, I mean, people would be all over it as like, oh, it's this great, you know, empowerment moment. They've been doing this for years. You just forget about it because you forget your history. Go watch that movie. And she gives an incredibly agency-driven, powerful female performance and still fills all the check marks that you needed in a 1960s movie where she's the girlfriend and the damsel in distress and all that other stuff too. And that's what makes that movie cool to me is her performance. And then Sal Mania was so good as his friend in that movie. And it's it's a tragic tale. Again, we'll stay spoiler-free, but um, that's definitely one everybody needs to check off their box. And I mean, I, I say that as somebody who's still got a list of films I've got to check off my box, but Rebel Without a Cause is one that I, you need to go and, and seek out. And I think it's in it's pretty readily available nowadays. You can find it on like Amazon and stuff. It's worth the rental price, and it's definitely worth owning if you're into owning like physical media and stuff still. But I love that movie. Um, the car chase scenes in it. Um, just the way it was shot and the way it was cut and the angles were not something you saw nowadays. I mean, movies in the 1950s and 60s were very much like television shows with a little bit more budget. You know, like if you watch the original Psycho, that movie's genius, but it's pretty much an extended version of the Alfred Hitchcock hour, you know, because it's all shot on a set. Rebel Without a Cause is a movie where you've got up angles at people and you've got like side shots and you've got all kinds of different cool camera stuff going on in it, not to mention the action stuff. It's a it is a film school in a in a show. Yeah, exactly. And. You know, speaking of the performances, I mean, yeah, obviously James Deans and, and all these characters, but Natalie Wood, I, I mostly know her just from West Side Story, and I was getting a lot of West Side Story vibes from this film. I think mm-hmm. it's just because it, it's like the, the era that this was made. I think West Side Story was 61, this was 65, so in like using Technicolor and just how people are delivering their lines, it's, it's just, it, that's where I was getting a lot of those vibes, but the, the one thing that I, the like the critiques that i have is just it's it's kind of the it's it's like the era of its time in i think the some moments of the scripts most notably how people respond to death in this film it's it's very odd and kind of took me out of the movie a little bit especially like i'm not going to spoil who those deaths are but it's it's that there is such a lack of response to death that kind of really takes me out of the moment like so a, a, a very spe- specific character tor- towards the end of the film 
is killed and and then we get the like everyone walks away into the credits smiling and and like arms around each other into the sunset and that was very jarring especially if they're trying to get across like this how the next generations are slowly de-evolving as as opposed to like their parents generation and um so that was like the one thing that I I totally kind of took me out of the moment. I don't necessarily want to chalk it up a hundred percent to just it's the era that the film was made in, but because there's other films where you know of this time where you know death was actually treated, and I think in a very realistic way. But outside of that, I just think this film is just very poignant. There's lots of tension, and the way that it's shot and the cinematography is just spectacular. Like this is totally a film that. You, it's it's a bucket list film, and that if you can see it in a cinema, like run to the cinema and buy a ticket. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be sold out, so I don't think you you can maybe like f- like fast walk there. But definitely, if you have the opportunity to see this on a big screen, especially if it's an original print, go see it because this is oh, this yeah. is one of those classic films. Oh yeah, and I mean, and I'll say this only about the ending that it is. Uh, part of the times, but I've always seen that now as, as that's almost a statement about the film itself, because the people that are behind that film are the old guard that think the new generation is, you know, losing it and not going to be able to keep it up. So they're going to put this whitewash on the end of it, even though there shouldn't be one. And I think that the jar of that is something you're supposed to walk away from knowing like, no, that's not really how that would go. Is it? You know, you walk away changed. You don't walk away smiley and happy. And that's why, you know, that generation again, fostered an incredible amount of social change in their time when they got into the position to do it. Right. But when they were out, it's, I mean, and I'm not a huge John Mayer fan, but he hit one out of the park with that waiting on the world to change song. Cause he's right. He's like, I'd love to do something about it. If you'd get out of the damn way. And I was like, Hmm, you know, there's something to be said about that. Is again, somebody who's a little bit older now too. I, I, I work around college students and, uh, younger professionals and stuff. And I, I love the fact that they have all this energy and drive to do things different. It makes me better at what I do. I try to embrace that, but I know I'm in the minority for that too. And a lot of other people are like, Nope, we got to do it this way. And it's the only way we can ever do it and stuff like that. And that's very much what rebel without a cause is about is the, the butting of heads of the, you know, the previous generation and then the, you know, the coming generation from the sixties. So the fact that it ends that way is a statement in and of itself. I also think it's interesting about with Rebel Without a Cause is that it's not like a propaganda film. It's not like Reefer Madness where it's exactly. like completely like this is based in just uh, like fear mongering and propaganda. What I think is interesting here is that it, it's although it's made by that like old generation of, you know, you like you're going to be the death of us all. They they also do kind of treat it like I think it's real. Like it's it's great that, you know, in today's day and age with, you know, the social justice movement, it, it's amazing. And, and with the younger politicians today, it's awesome that young people are becoming really social or becoming really active and involved in the in, in politics or whatever. But there's also this this idea that they think that they know everything and and every young person thinks that they are so experienced like they like and I, and I have this joke like with uh, where I went to school is really big on studying abroad and people go abroad and they come back and they think they know everything because they've seen the world and it's that kind of naive I don't want to say innocence but arrogance ignorance that I think that this film also really kind of taps into as well all uh, so it's it's that ignorance and arrogance of youth, but 
but it's also it has the kind of the backwardsness of the older generation and and how they respond to things. So I think it's actually like really a balanced scale, which I was not expecting going into this movie. I I thought the movie was gonna be just like the young generation sucks. It's it's just gonna. I thought it was gonna be a propaganda machine, and it wasn't. I was pleasantly surprised by that. There's a modern analog to that, if I could tangent for just a second. And oh, it's a movie that got dismissed because Robert Pattinson was the star in it, and we just have to hate everything he's in because he was in Twilight movies once, which is totally underselling that guy's craft because he's an amazing actor. He was in a movie called Remember Me um, back in, I don't know, 2013 or so. I can't I've heard of this, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Now, it's got a plot twist that if you read it one way, you're going to see is like a real cheap emotional ploy. At the, at the very end, and I won't spoil for what it is. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. I kind of went with it. But the central story is you've got this guy who's kind of rebel without a cause. That's Pattinson. And his brother has passed away. That's not a spoiler alert. And he's angry about it. And he's sort of dealing with it while being sort of a nothing, you know, layabout. And he's from a rich family. And his father's played by Pierce Brosnan. And normally the father, you you would learn to hate this person, right? Because he's from the other generation. He can't possibly understand what I'm going through. But they have an argument in like a office scene where Pierce Brosnan absolutely unloads on him about what exactly are you responsible for right now? And how do you think that's any different than your pain's any different than mine? But I'm responsible for all these other things. And I've had to keep all this going and you haven't contributed anything to it. And it's it's a good meeting of generations and a good argument. And it reminds me very much of like the, the parents plight in Rebel Without a Cause. They're not played off as characters. Like you can understand why they're frustrated with James Dean's character and why he's frustrated with them. Unfortunately, Rebel Without a Cause doesn't have that great, you know, come around to it. But Remember Me is one of those that you should go back and revisit. If for nothing more than that scene, I think you can just see that scene on YouTube even. And it's it's a powerful, like coming to grips with each other and and they do in the in the course of the film come to understand each other better because they finally talk to each other and that's the thing in rebel without a cause is jim can never have an adult conversation with his parents because his parents won't talk to him like he's an adult right well if remember me they finally talk to each other like they're adults and it's amazing how much you can get done when you do that yeah and that's interesting that those like those uh, budding generations or like the stubbornness of each generation, they, those films very rarely actually show the two generations talking. And that's, and, and, and I mean, and you might say that that's not realistic, but even in today's day and age, the generations refuse to talk to each other for the most part. It's just, it's just either this, uh, it's just like, oh, you're young, you don't know what you're talking about, or you're old, you're disconnected. There's no actual communication between the two. And that's what's the frustrating part. So maybe there is this uh, this bitter truth that Rebel Without a Cause is is either intentionally or unintentionally getting across. But I I but yeah, with with the Remember Me, that's that just the main point of communication. So yeah. awesome. I'm I'm glad you brought that one up though, man, because it, it I'm gonna transition to something that's very different. Because I felt like we've, we've hit a lot of like serious stuff here, and that's really cool. But I like to watch goofy stuff for fun. Uh, too, or stuff that just you know, is just very base level. And there's a series that Hulu has right now called Into the Dark. Are you familiar with that at all? Into the Dark. This sounds so. I don't. I don't have Hulu, so I'm not. Okay. Is it exclusive to Hulu? Because it, I, it I think I've heard of it. It is. It's exclusive to Hulu. It's it's produced by Blumhouse, which is you know Paranormal Activity and and all of those you know mul- multitude of horror films, Sinister stuff like that. But they have a television wing now. And this, the best way I can describe it, is it is Twilight Zone meets American Horror Story. 
there's 12 episodes. They started them last October, October 2018, and they're going to release one a month for the next year. And they're all feature length. And they're built around whatever, like, the time is. Like, so the first one was about Halloween. Uh, but not about Halloween, but just something that happens on Halloween night. And then there was one that was about, like, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. And then there was one that was a Christmas kind of horror tale. And and uh, anyway, there are all these. And then their most recent one called uh, All That We Destroy was came out on Mother's Day. Um, and it's it's about this mother geneticist who discovers her son might be a, become a serial killer. So she creates clones for him to release that aggression on as a way to try to cure him sort of this Philip K. Dick kind of, you see what I mean? It is a total mind screw of a, of a series. And I've watched several of the episodes. I haven't seen all of them yet, but all the ones I've seen are just fabulous. And so is it serious I mean, or is it like it, comedy or dark it's comedy? Both. It's both. It's played by both, depending on the episode. Like some of them are very serious and some are very funny. Like the body, the Halloween one is very kind of dark comedy. In addition to being sort of a uh, hitman thriller kind of thing. And then you've got one that's called uh, Flesh and Blood or Flesh and Bone uh, that's very much like a, it's a very serial killer, like very serious thriller vibe. But they've all got a little bit of that Blumhouse sheen to them, which I always say is like the post-scream world of horror, but done right. You know, so it's got all the snarky dialogue and kind of the self-aware parts, but in real-life situations where you could see like people's technology turning on them or the thing you didn't expect to come and happen, it's uh, again, it's Twilight Zone meets American Horror Story. I'm a, a sucker for a good you know horror movie. Excuse me, I'm always looking for them, and I I saw that kind of come up on the mentions on Hulu, and I said, oh, okay, I'll try, I'll try that out, and I was absolutely hooked. So I I recommend Into the Dark the series on on Hulu, real outstanding ones, The Body, and then the one called All That We Destroy, I think, are the two best ones. But all of them are good at one level or another, and they all star people that like you know from other things, and you'll see them like, oh, that's the guy from, or that's the woman from this, and it's it's really cool. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out because with Blumhouse. Like they have, I feel like that they're the modern equivalent to what Mary Max was to indie films in the '90s, and what Blumhouse is is to independent film, independent horror films of you know the 2007 to the modern era. I mean, they've produced some like really crappy horror films, but they've also produced a lot of excellent horror films as well, and and kind of made the careers of a, of of uh, some of these directors. I think I didn't. I think um, didn't they produce Get Out with Jordan yep. Peele? Yep, so, they were like part of that as well. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. right off the top of my head with them, uh, I, I I did Parano- Paranormal Activity. I believe they did as they well. Did, they did they did Paranormal Activity. That's really kind of where they made their bones was Paranormal Activity, and then they started doing like the Conjuring series and Annabelle and all that stuff, and then they did Sinister, which I would put over as a kind of a maybe a forgotten one in this pile of stuff, but that's a fabulous but the sequel's all right but the first one is brilliant and um and i love scott derrickson too so i'm, I'm kind of an easy lay for anything he directs but i mean he, he does great stuff this the same guy that did sinister it gave us dr strange which i would say is the most interesting of the you know a lot of the marvel movies uh, in terms of what it does but yeah blumhouse is known for this they're the ones that redid halloween last year for the 2018 the 40 year anniversary um so they're behind a lot of that but they're very much like miramax like you say but they they are they're kind of like new line cinema was and Miramax sort of sh- shoved together, but run by people that know what the hell they're doing. And uh, I mean, they make all these things for really low budgets, like four and five million dollars and stuff. And the way they get these big name actors is they give them points on the back end, so they don't get paid a lot up front. 
but that way they get name recognition and face recognition from the audience. So when the thing, you know, is a mass hit, then they, you know, they all make money on the back end. Um, cause that, that's the problem with horror movies is you can't pay anybody, you know, that's a big star to be in one. Well, Blumhouse just figured out like, well, you know, when it's a hit, everybody will want to be in it. And that's how they did the conjuring and all this other stuff. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. I mean, there's some of them that are very much narrative structure. Some are kind of found footagey, which is, you know, Blumhouse is in a wheelhouse and sort of their first home, but, um, they're all really well made and, uh, they star some of the same like bit actors will appear in different roles in the different pieces, but they're not a complete anthology where you get the same people playing different you know things all the time. So there's a good variety to the cast and to the people they've gotten to direct them and, and stuff. It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's a few, uh, film production studios that I will, more or less go see a lot of the things they do. Blumhouse is one of them. A24, I think, is another one. Miramax, still kind of like that, although the, the you know the, the post-Me Too movement with Harvey Weinstein kind of really leaves a stale taste in my mouth with Miramax. But, um, but you know, it, I, it's, and, and television is also evolving to in the, the streaming platforms and stuff, and that's a, that's a conversation for a whole other day. I'm in, in full support of streaming services, but it's it's great to see that you know television is now kind of transforming into something that's not just for news or sitcoms or you know like soap operas it's now being and and this has been happening for a while now with the you know with HBO with stars but now with even like shows like the walking dead breaking bad uh you know even comedies like it's always sunny things like like or, or the uh shameless these shows are really evolving television that to new the new heights that I think is absolutely incredible. Well, I'm going to plant this seed for you and try to get myself another invitation back on your show. I could actually, I think I can pinpoint a, a show that started this for all of us and, and sort of this way to do something that was a little more elevated and edgy and pushing the envelope. And then, you know, now it bleeds into the streaming stuff and that's the shield from FX back in the day. So we, we could talk about that on another, you know, another podcast on another day, but, um, or as my friend Josh says another day on Donahue, but that, I mean, that's very much, yeah, I, I agree. I've been a cord cutter for, oh gosh, eight years now, I guess. So I haven't had standard cable in a long time. And so I love it now that the streaming services have gotten into not just offering content or being warehouses for content, but producing content and buying content. And I mean, they're two big cans winners this year. Netflix bought them. You know, yeah. at the end of it, and that's a big deal. I, I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm not so stuffy to say that the Oscars the Oscars need to change a lot of things, but they definitely need to open themselves up to some of this kind of stuff because these are good pieces of art that are not going to get recognized outside of just being for where they are. Um, and so, yeah, I I definitely put over the end of the dark series on Hulu though. And if you don't have Hulu, find a friend that's got one and, and check it out because it's definitely worth it. Oh yeah, definitely. And to respond to if you get another invitation it's it's not a matter of if it's when jay you'll definitely i'll definitely have you back on here but this whole idea of the horror is a great transition for my next recommendation and i'm recommending a youtube horror series and it it goes by the name of tribe 12 now this is something that i've been watching since i think 2012 or so and and it's and it's around the idea of slender man so now in the day when Slenderman peaked, now you you could have an entire episode about the the iconography of Slenderman and the backstory and what creepy pasta was and the internet and and now even 
the really morbid stuff where people have actually committed crimes and have assaulted and killed people because like children have killed people or assaulted people like because they think they're appeasing this god of slenderman and but at the peak of that in the in the late 2000s like early 2010s there were four main channels that have pretty much dissipated into obscurity but they really handled slenderman and and just to name drop them, there's Marble Hornets, there's Everyman Hybrid, there's, I think it's called Dark Horse. This is the one I didn't really watch that much. But then there was Tribe 12. And they each handle the Slenderman mythology in a different way. And they, and they, but they're all found footage. And, and they're all like very amateur. And, and I think each one kind of factors into their own thing. But talking about Tribe 12, I think it's the most ambitious one. I think it's the most interesting one and it has the best visual effects now i now and and this is also a huge inspiration for my last three shorts i'll link the channel but also i sent you a trailer that was made by just a fan and i and and i think when you see my shorts jay you'll see the inspiration from tribe 12 and but the and and when and so i didn't want to send you specific videos because it's a very story heavy uh, visually driven um, narrative, and that if you just watch like an episode in the middle of it, you won't understand at all what's going on. You like you have to watch the the story to understand everything. But I thought this trailer really gave a good indication of the visual style of the film or of the narrative piece. And 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 I and as I was and as I found it and sent it to you, as I was watching it, I started getting goosebumps because I know the context behind everything there and i'm oh man like i i oh I'm, I'm getting shivers just thinking about some of the things because i've had visceral reactions to this and it's it's and this has genuinely terrified me some of the visuals he's able to get across so before i get into the, those stories what what do you think about at least the trailer i know you said you had some questions we were off air yeah i did i did not know that was a fan trailer now that you've told me that explains so much because what you didn't realize about me was that I have this gene of completist in me. And so when I find something or somebody send me something like that, I'm like, well, okay, where do I start digging? And then I go down the rabbit hole and I realize, oh, there's a lot to this. So I'm sitting there going like, okay, I'm going to have to find time to catch up on this because this looks like something I want to know about. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I had so many questions about it was this done by a studio to look this way is it done by independent filmmakers that's kind of what i was interested in and how in the world did you find it because slenderman was it was the rage you know for a long time but this looks like one of the smartest ways to deal with it that i've so, seen on on the web so i found this by just exploring the world of of these found footage things now marble hornets is the longest and and probably the most popular of them and then i just started kind of looking into well there has to be more like this because it's such an it's such a simple co uh, concept in the way they set it up and i think marble hornets is honestly kind of the most boring one because there's like 20 minute long videos of just them. It's like the, it's like everything wrong with the Blair Witch they do in these videos. But every now and again, they have like really interesting visuals from Marble Hornets. But I so I just started digging deeper into what the lore is because 
not so much with Marble Hornets, but these other two, Everyman Hybrid and Tribe 12, they have collaboration videos. And like the other three, they appear in each other's, whether it's a cameo or they have meetups. And they kind of build this world where they like, oh, like we are also having these Slenderman sightings and he's like messing with us. Maybe we can combine forces and try and understand this because there's such a deep lore in these worlds. Like there's like a cult of Slenderman that comes up into it. There's like reasons why Slenderman is targeting these people there's you know he without getting too uh like too into it and and uh convoluted there's like another dimension where Slenderman kind of comes from kind of like uh oh what is it like phantasm where that that guy comes from a different world and there's monsters and demons in everyman hybrid there's a character that possesses one of the character like the main characters and then they like it's this really interesting di- dichotomy and and so and and each one has this very like simple premise where they start off with but then it just devolves so like every man hybrid starts off as these like three or four best friends that create a uh, fitness channel and sporadic like the first 10 episodes are like normal fitness stuff but they're throwing like very hinty clues at slenderman in the background and then it becomes oh we don't know when it's us versus like someone they think someone's messing with them and then they're having all these paranormal experiences and it just devolves and then tribe 12 is this idea that the main character noah is his name is that his his cousin committed suicide and he has all the all he he like inherited the footage that he was working on and he starts seeing these subtle clues of like wait someone's like stalking him and then as he digs deeper into the mystery slenderman gets involved with his life and the visuals that this guy is able to create in that trailer they like there's like oh my god like again i keep mentioning it and i'm getting chills down my spine like for instance when he's talking to the camera and then there's a finger waggling behind him as it pops up oh man and then these really surreal like it it reminds me of begotten where it's like and i've actually used the effect and it's called threshold in premiere pro and it just like really distorts the visual and and it's funny. One of the things I was watching this in high school one time on my on my uh, on my iPod on on YouTube, and I was late at night, dark, and there was this. It was very the beginning of the video was very calming and this very light music, like "Oh, you're okay, you've escaped." And then it's this jump scare of just loud music, and I, I'm about to swear. I I literally screamed, "Holy fuck!" And I and I took my iPod and I threw it across the room because I was so jarred at what I had seen, because it was just so abrupt, and I just threw my my iPod across the room, because I had, my instinctual reaction was to get the visual away from me, and it was so, it's, it's, it's just like those little key things like that, and he does, you know, voice editing, he, he, he adds little, like, easter eggs in the background, and it's just like, messes with your brain subconsciously, so I, I can't, recommend this youtube series enough i i absolutely enjoy it so much and it's it's definitely like you got to pay attention but it's so worth it i 
I definitely want to check it out more. And I'm so glad you brought up Blair Witch because I didn't think so much about the Blair Witch Project or Blair Witch, the you know, the third one. I thought about Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 watching this, which if you go back in the film strip archives, you can hear Nick and me tear that apart. And that movie deserves to be torn apart for the way it was presented. But if Joe Berlinger, the guy that made that, he's also behind you know, the Paradise Lost documentaries and you know a lot of other stuff. And he made the most recent Ted Bundy thing that's on Netflix with uh, Zac Efron and Lily Collins. Um, if he had gotten to make the movie he wanted to make uh, with the Blair Witch 2, it would have been very much like what these guys are doing and what you're talking about here. Um, and I, so that's exactly what I thought of when I was watching this. I was like, oh, it's like what Blair Witch 2 should have been, but with a much more interesting character. But, you know, it, the MacGuffin's always the same. Blair Witch, Slender Man, you know, whatever. Um, the way it was presented and just a few of the things that I watched after kind of falling down the rabbit hole that you sent me down with that, I was like, I got to know more and I want to watch more because it, it just looks like it's the kind of gonzo filmmaking that we don't get enough of these days but i'm so glad that there's an outlet like youtube for so people can do this stuff because man when i was coming up like we didn't have this like you could shoot it on your mom's camcorder and maybe get some friends around the vcr to watch it later that night but that was all you could really do you know and go to film festivals and hope somebody cared enough to give you three thousand dollars to make it better right um, now, I mean, you know, you got an iPhone six, you can shoot a whole movie cause Steven Soderbergh friggin' did, you know? So, I mean, you, you can do everything you want. And I think that's great that we have access to that stuff and that people take advantage of it to do interesting things. I mean, what they're doing is not new because there's nothing new. Everything's been done, but they're taking it and presenting it in a way that we haven't seen like that before. And I, I dig that. I'm always, I'm always for something cool like that. Yeah, and I, I, I'll, I'll, again, I'll link this as well to, like, the main channel, but I think you're in for a, quite a ride when you when you watch this one. So, Jay, I think we're on our, our last picks for right now, so do you want to go first with your last picks? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to talk about a podcast that, uh, I, that I really like. I'm going to borrow that from Dana because he did that, but I, we try to do that on the end of some of the film strip shows, especially the new ones that we're doing, to just put over podcasts that we're listening to or things that we like. And i got to talk about a podcast called The Generation Y Podcast. Are, have you listened to them at all? I have not listened, but I think they come up on you know suggested uh, feeds, but I, I have not listened to them. They've been around since 2012, and I've been listening to them since then. They've got 320-plus episodes. They are, like, loosely, they get called a true crime podcast, but they're really about odd occurrences, disappearances. Think of if it, Unsolved Mysteries got remade as a podcast nowadays. It would be the Generation Y podcast. Justin and Aaron are the, the two hosts, and they do incredible amounts of research. And then put it together, and it's just these these two friends just talking about the case and then giving their impressions or what they think and stuff like that. Every now and then they'll do interviews and stuff like that, but it's usually just the two of them. And it is some of the most engrossing hour of podcasting you can listen to. Like, I listen to most of my podcasts that I listen to on, like, one and a half speed because I just can you know do that. It's a good way to consume a lot of them. I slow that one down specifically. Because I want to, I want to be there in that moment with them for everything that they cover. Um, in addition, in the podcasting world, like you meet different people, and there's always that whole bit like don't meet people that you you, know, you follow and stuff because you never know what your impression will be. Couldn't find two nicer guys in the world. I have never met them in person. I've had them both on previous film strip shows and just talked to them offline. Super, super nice guys. Very down to earth. 
um, very kind of blown away by how much success they've had with this and stuff. And, but they bring such a, a very real perspective to the stuff that they're talking about. And they will, they will go down the deep end sometimes on stuff. And they'll even tell like, Oh, I regret we ever talked about that, but they have just such good perspectives on things and talk about such neat things that you don't know about, like cases you didn't know were happening. And now they've made into the public conscience. It's great. And I, I can't recommend it enough. I'll recommend two episodes kind of from the back through the catalog. If you don't want to go all the way back to the front, but you want to start earlier on, listen to the Jeffrey McDonald murder case, um, which was it's a case I've been fascinated with since I was a kid. Um, and then they did a show on the Loch Ness Monster, and it's probably one of the goofiest things they've ever done, and it is absolutely hilarious. That and, like, Titanic conspiracies, like, they, they cover all of it. If you listen to those three shows, it will absolutely hook you to the rest of what they've got to offer, but they are, they're one of my favorite podcasts, so I wanted to put over the Generation Y podcast and Justin and Aaron specifically. I think you can follow them on Gen Y Pod on Twitter, and really good guys and just a fun show. I think this this totally sounds up my alley. And now that you mention it, I think I remember listening to an episode that you had them on, and that's how yeah, that's uh, why it's it's ringing bells. Yeah, Aaron came on and did um, the Devil's Rejects, which is like his yeah, favorite that's film uh, with us. And then Justin came on and did the John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, that the thing. Us. I was like, it's, I'm like, so, I wanted to say yeah. the thing, but I wasn't quite sure. But my thing with so you said you mentioned true crime, and and I kind of withdrew a little bit because I have. Uh, the true crime genre is very hit or miss with me because I had I, I feel like depending on who it is, it can be really exploitive and I think disrespectful because I've listened to podcasts like True Crime Podcast and and I and I dated a girl who was super into true crime and she was really, you know, an anxious person to begin with and then she was neurotic, so that didn't help her at all. And and I'm neurotic too, but not to this capa- like this capacity. But what I and I and one of the most popular true crime shows today is My Favorite Murder. And I listened to them for like at least a year, but then I started getting this sour taste in my mouth because, you know, they their research would consist of just going onto Wikipedia and we and reading that. They had a they they would have a and I'm sorry for all you my favorite murder fans out there. I mean the two co-hosts are they seem like excellent lovely people, but this is just my critique of their show. If they had a correction they have this segment called correction corner where they recognize what they said wrong and they correct it. So good on them for doing that, but when your corrections corner is like 40 minutes long, there's an issue here. And and I just thought it was very exploitive that they were, and they do, they go on live tours and live shows. And I just thought it was very odd how the fascin, like there's the fascination of true crime, but then it's like you're just talking about like people's misery, and and they're just getting murdered, and and you're, it just, it just, it's very odd to me. But then when you talk about here, like they, like uh, they do the, the, they're well researched. They also talk about you know really absurd things like the Loch Ness Monster, like conspiracy theory or uh, Titanic conspiracy theories. That to me means they're well-rounded and, and it's, it's more of this like oddity fascination and they're trying to understand it as opposed to be like, Oh, this was, came from a, I survived episode where a woman got her leg chopped off and she like ran into a river and they don't know the full story. And they're just kind of like, Oh, this kind of happened. Maybe, I don't know. 
because I think that's disrespectful. But if you have all the research, I think that really works. So I'm definitely going to check out these, these guys. And from what I remember of the Devil's Rejects and the thing, they seem like really well-versed people and very, you know, nice guys. Oh, yeah, they're, they're super nice guys. The thing about them that I love is it's all in the name, the generation of Y. It's not the letter Y, it's W-H-Y. They're skeptics. So they ask questions good, bad, or otherwise. Like, they want to get to the bottom of stuff. And they've even had some stuff where they, they try to go like, okay, this is what we think happened, you know, and we'll see if it ever plays out. And sometimes that's not the most popular opinion, but they they give an opinion having done the research themselves. They don't just rely on the 48 hours mystery or whatever to, to tell them that. And that's what's cool about them. That and the fact that, again, what they are presenting is, and they are very careful to not be exploited with what they're doing like at all. Like some of the, the other true crime podcasts, I'm the, like, they're the only one I still listen to after all of these years. And I listened to all of them for a while, but they're the only one I've held on to because again, they're really well-rounded, but they're not putting over the, the victims you know, ordeal at their own, you know, success. Like they're very conscious of like, look, this is very serious and you know, they're very cool. And they're, I don't mean, again, it's all in just the way they deliver and do stuff, uh, but they're good storytellers. That's the thing that Aaron and Justin really have in their bag is they're both very good storytellers and they look at things from different perspectives. And even when they disagree with each other, you can tell they're just, they're not trying to convince the other one that like, you must agree with me. It's more like, no, that's your take on it. Here's my take on it. And I appreciate that. I think that's something we've kind of lost in society in some ways is the ability to have good discourse. And so this show is very much about that. So I, if, if you're burnt out at all on true crime-ish type podcast, folks, give Generation Y a listen. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And, and interact with them on Twitter. They're very, you know, they're very interactive and we'll write back to you. They're very cool and, uh, and stuff like that. And, I mean, they have been trolled like crazy by, you know, different sections of fandom about, you know, stuff. And they just take it all in stride. So I, I highly recommend them. Yeah, that's awesome. And so also on this podcast idea, I know – all fair, you were saying you were, you thought of two podcasts, and I guess this, so. What, what was the second podcast? Just because I'm curious, and also just so we get another recommendation in there. All right, so this one is very weird. Okay, and I'm going to put disclaimers on it that, <laughs> yeah, the that weirder, again, the better. If listen, yeah, if you didn't listen to my first episode, I like to expose myself to stuff that maybe is not really my way of thinking or in my wheelhouse, but just to hear it from the different perspective because I believe that's good education, um, and and I like that. I think that's good, you know, well-roundedness just in life and stuff like that. Even though I very firmly believe in the proverb that the, with more knowledge comes more sorrow. So the more you know, that the, the sorry you're going to be, you know it, kids. But I'm you know I was in for a penny and a pound of that a long time ago in my life, so I I, I can deal with that. Um, I, I'm a I'm a pro wrestling fan. Okay, I make no bones about that. Brian and I talk about it all the time on on film strip. It's something he's into, and we still both kind of watch the modern product here and there. I don't watch it as much as he does still, um, because his kids are kind of getting into it now, so they watch it. And it's it's funny, but for a very short time in my career, Mike, early on when I was in college, I had a chance to work with a semi-professional wrestling organization, like an independent is what we'd call that now. It ran out of the town next to where I was going to college, and I was the ring announcer, which is like the most thankless, useless job ever, right? You're the but hype it got man. me around. It, yeah, it got me around the business, and it was fun. And I got because I mean, I knew these guys like you're a construction worker, you're the you know, you're a bartender and a teacher. You know, like the, it was funny to watch these people put on the character and then become the thing. But I was in on the work long time ago on on uh, professional wrestling. I say all of that is preamble to if you want to have a good hearty laugh 
at conspiracy theory lore and current events and stuff like that, listen to a show called The Conspiracy Horseman. Now, if you search for that, you won't find it. You're going to have to search for Hacker Hameen. It's H-A-C-K-E-R-H-A-M-I-N, all one word. Hacker Hameen, and you're going to see a feed of a bunch of wrestling shows, and then there's one that comes out on Wednesdays and Thursdays called The Conspiracy Horseman. And it's four full ex-full-time professional wrestlers, two of which you've probably heard of. The other two you probably didn't know unless you were like a super indie person. But it's uh, Big Sal. Uh, it's uh, Greek God Papadon. It's Stevie Richards, who was big in the WWE back in the day. And then Ben Hameen, who's been a big independent guy for years. The four of them were our old locker room friends. And they used to talk about all this stuff. And they realized that they got fun out of just kicking, you know, kicking each other's balls over it and cracking each other up and talking about it. And it's it's four professional wrestlers whose life is to sell you on something that is not really there, right? But make you believe it. Picking apart stuff like, well, that's what they want you to believe, but here's what's really happening. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they're not bullshitters because they're all incredibly articulate. They're well-versed. They do their work. And, and now the thing is, each show's about two and a half hours long, so it's long, all right? And there's a lot of, like, the first 15 minutes is always them just kind of screwing around. But when they get into the topic du jour, it is absolutely hilarious to listen to these guys tear it apart. And so if you want something a little weird, a little off the beaten path, Hacker Humming and, and the show, The Conspiracy Horseman. Now, if, you, if you're into wrestling, you should listen to the rest of their shows because they're funny. But if you're not and you just want that one, just subscribe and delete all the other ones and, until Conspiracy Horsemen's pop up because they're totally working. They have a live Twitch channel uh, so you can watch them record the show if you're into that. Um, and you interact that way. They always put that over and talk about it, but they, they're funny. And again, they, they don't take themselves so seriously, even though a couple of them are like super famous and stuff, but they, they apply their knowledge of being workers and knowing how to sell the crowd on the wrestling angle to, is, is somebody from the government or is, you know, is this group trying to work us to make us think that, oh, this is not really harmful when we know it really is and all this kind of stuff. They, they pick apart a lot of stuff. And again, you don't have to agree with all of it, but it, it makes for a fun show. And again, if you've got like, when I've got a good long workout planned or something, Conspiracy Horseman's a good one to go to for me because it, it's a funny show. I think the, and this is another show I'm going to add obviously to my podcasting docket because I'm always, you know, looking for new content and just the wrestling, like, that community is so interesting. In college, I had a roommate and his buddies used to watch WWE. And at that time, I was like, this is bullshit. But then as I've been kind of exploring it, like, that's the point. And, and, the, and the wrestlers are not trying to make it seem like it's anything less than theatrics. And, and you know, Vice has done some really interesting, like, backyard wrestling where it's, like, hyper-violent theater and... And then, you know, listening to the interviews and, and, you know, watching a film like The Wrestler, when it kind of gives this, like, behind, like, sneak peek behind the curtain of, of what goes into the show, gives me this newfound respect for wrestlers. And, and it's also, I feel like with wrestling, anyone, like, the people that you would never expect are the fans. It, it, for example, there's a, there's a woman in my nursing program. She's in her, like, late 20s, you know, very, like, not mousy, but very quiet, very nice, um, like, this, like, long blonde hair, and and then I was looking on Facebook, and it's, like, her and her husband were at, like, WWE, like, cage match, and I was like, what? Yeah. She's wearing this, like, uh, unicorn hat, and she has, and she's like, yeah! I'm like, oh my god, what? And, and I was like, hey, like, I saw on Facebook, I did not expect that from you, she's so like, why not? I'm like, 
listen to your voice and look at yourself in the mirror. I did not expect <laughs> you to be a wrestling fan, but which is why I think a podcast like this would is like well, like there re, podcasting and wrestlers should go more hand in hand. Not well, necessarily. There's a lot of them. the The problem is, is most of them are putting over their like history with the gimmick or what you know what they've done or whatever. The thing I like about Hacker Mean stuff and particularly the conspiracy horseman stuff is again they know that like look we know this is all bull so we're not gonna pull any punches and we knew it then too and so they're very honest like they have no reason to lie to you anymore right because the secret's been out of the bag on wrestling ever since the steroid trial you know because they had to admit on the stand and then even more recently the the trial with uh, hulk hogan you know suing the people for the sex tape right i mean he had to talk about like you don't understand hulk hogan is a different character than the real person here hulk hogan's got a 10 inch you know python penis i'm just a regular dude you know, and and but we we've exposed that. But the funny thing about wrestling is, for years, it was uh, we can't expose the business. And even when I, the little time I worked in it, you couldn't expose the business because that was like death of the business. We thought, and come to find out, like people knew it anyway, and sort of appreciate the fact that like it is just theatrical stunt show, you know. And what they want is the good story. That's part of what's missing from current product sidebar, but the. The, these guys tell the story and it's fun to hear again ex wrestlers talk about um you know did the titanic really was it a different ship and we just faked it or you know 9-11 conspiracies or whatever you want to hear and just to go like man this is freaking crazy but it's hilarious and so that i think it's the fun part is that they are so funny with it or at least they're funny to me now i'll put i hadn't put this out there or anything else definitely language warning on the the conspiracy theory uh, the conspiracy horseman show because they don't pull any punches it is a locker room all right so it's not necessarily trump locker room talk but it is very much dudes that are just going to say it they don't care and they you know a couple of them are from you know like new york and not to be stereotypical but they just let it fly they don't care so you know i'm a southerner so we we had we had to curse in unique language when i was a kid um and so yeah before we all you know blended together but yeah it, it's a funny one it's it's a weird one and and definitely something off the, the beaten path to to check out yeah and i feel like conspiracy theorists like those podcasts should be like doused in, in humor and, and in regards to language as well. I mean, I, I swear, I swear like a sailor, I'm from the Philly area, you know, it, it it's, I try and censor myself now on the show, but you know, I, there's sometimes I'm like, Ooh, man, I should really stop because it's, it's just kind of like, it just becomes part of my language. I'm like, Oh no, I should really, like, this is going to get me in trouble one day. Like I'm going to turn into like Joe Biden and just like swear in a spot that I should not do. But, um, but no, yeah, I'm, definitely going to check this out and with that being said i'm going to transition into my final recommendation and i'm 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 very curious to see if you've either heard of this or seen this film so i'm going to say the title come and see does this mean does that title mean anything to you uh does it ring any bells you may have heard about it no that one's not ringing any for me so come and see is a 1985 russian war film and Hmm. my one line review of the film is that I think it's one of the most important war films ever made. And, like, I, so the history of this, as I think it took three to five years to pass the, Re- the Russian censors, then it was finally released, and it was a major classic in Russian cinema. I, I, I think it's essentially like the Saving Private Ryan to Russia. So the whole plot is that we follow a young boy as he finds a rifle buried in the sand and he joins the soviet resistance forces in world war ii and 
and we follow from his perspective or his perspective the subsequent butchering of Belarus and all the war crimes that the German military commits and it's it's such a profound film and it, it really it, it does not shy away from the brutality of man and it's and it's paired with this like surrealist imagery another really interesting fact is that live ammo was used throughout the making of this and then you hear <laughs> and you hear about you know like you guys are about to talk about the crow you know the the Brandon Lee was killed on the set with a um, like a defunct uh, squib or, or uh, like a blank and 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 then we have this film where they're literally shooting live ammunition over the actors heads as they're like ducked down in this like in from the subject matter and you know these really harsh conditions is that the actor they're all russian so i, I i'm awful at enunciation so i'm not even gonna try but the main actor he was like six i think he was 16 or 17 and he turned gray like his hair literally turned like I think it was bleach. He turned like it, it became bleach blonde or gray, just from the subject matter and the intensive shooting. And I and I don't like to think that it wasn't like the Russian equivalent of Kubrick. It was just how it, it was like uh, like um, Spielberg dealing with um, Schindler's List. It was just so wholly depressing that it just like took everyone down. And But this kid was sub- the subject to all of this. And it really works in the context of the film because you see this idealist young uh, kid turn into this wit- like this old man in the course of like two and a half hours. And it's so visceral. And I... I but it's, it's, I mean, there have been war films that do much worse. I honestly think Platoon is a little bit more expletive in what it shows as opposed to this. But this film, like, there's one segment towards the end of the film where the German military, the SS, come in and literally butcher an entire town. Uh, and you and you and you watch that because you see other towns and you see the aftermath of it, but here it's just unwavering and unflinching with the brutality and the and the war crimes that are committed here, and it's it's such a poignant and poetic and and beautifully disturbing film that I think like I like I said it's one of the most important war, war films ever made. Man, I am totally intrigued by this idea now. Um, I I. Uh, put a Google save search on as you were uh, talking about this. Cause I'm like, I'm going to seek this out. I understand like I can rent it on voodoo or something like that. Definitely going to be checking that out because it sounds like it's right up. Like I, I, the thing about war films that I just, uh, you know, it always gets me. And I talked about one on Dana's show um, with, uh, with he and Mike um, that I hate the ones that are exploitative. I love the ones that really get into the, the start drama of it. And I talked about paths of glory, which was about world war one, which I don't think gets enough, you know, uh, hasn't had enough press about or whatever, cause it's sort of overshadowed by other things. Uh, but to, as an American to experience war from somebody else's point of view and to watch that, it's a difficult experience for us. So oftentimes cause the film's not in English, you know, so you're, you're gonna have to read the subtitles or whatever, but, I I am intrigued by the idea of catching that from somebody else's because the line "war is hell" is true for everyone. It doesn't matter whose side you're on, you know it is it is hell on everybody. And to I'm I'm intrigued by the drama of it. I mean, it sounds like something definitely I need to check out. And I'm going to put it on my list to watch very soon. And there's some just like iconic imagery in the film, like. I mean, I won't go into spoilers, but I mean, I just feel like it's it's like uh, it's like kind of like Platoon. Like it's not so much about the oh, well, maybe not Platoon. Uh, 
maybe like Full Metal Jacket. It's more about the themes of what's going on as opposed to like the narrative. But like there's there's a very poignant image at the end of the film where uh, the the Soviet forces come in after the butchering of this village, and there's a portrait of Adolf Hitler in the mud, and he takes his in the in the child or this or now he's a man apparent like suppose like he just looks like an old man. He takes the rifle, and there's a montage of him shooting this this uh, portrait of Adolf Hitler, and it's being paired with you know, him, or with Adolf Hitler's speeches and his marches and all the brutality of, like, kind of what he represents. But then the very final image is a picture of baby Adolf Hitler. And, like, that kind of ceases the firing. And it's just this very interesting and poignant commentary about, you know, what is evil and what is, like, the evil of uh, of man. And, and just kind of ending with, with, with a child shooting this image and then we see, like, a baby... Uh, image of Hitler just kind of really evokes this conversation that especially with the Russian like post because this is in the 80s and you know mists of the cold war you know we were making films like how also like it's 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 a uh, you know Rocky was beating the Russians in the 80s we were you know we were doing you know Rocky defeated communism we were having you know war games we're having all of these films about it and when then we get this perspective from the Russians about just war and it's it's very poignant. It, it's it's not very political. And I just I just think this is a, such a super important film that everyone needs to see. I don't know where you can where you're able to watch it. I personally bought a DVD copy on Amazon for like twenty bucks, and I don't know where it came from. Uh, the subtitles are very interesting on it because it's it's like a letterbox, and it and the aspect ratio is a little iffy, and the um, the subtitles from the original film are there, but then someone did their own subtitles over it, and they just blurred out the other one. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, but it's, regardless, I was able to see the film. And after... This is one of the few times in film that this has happened to me. After that, that butchering of the like uh, Belarus village, I had to turn the film off and, and like step away for like 10 minutes and just kind of watch... like a happy video because that was just so emotionally draining. And then I came back and finished the film, but it, it's definitely filled with some poignant images. It's a little slow in the beginning, but it definitely has some really powerful stuff. So I can't recommend this, this anymore. And if, and if I get to, uh, with Dana, if I, if I get on the 20th century film club, I, this is definitely going to be one of those recommendations that people have to see this movie. Well, that is a very cool recommendation. I'm I'm looking forward to checking that one out, man, because um, that again seems right in my wheelhouse and just sounds like a, a just a, an interesting experience to have. Yeah. So yeah, and if and I uh, so that concludes all of our recommendations. I anything that I like, I'm totally gonna be hitting you up when I check out more of what you've recommended, whether it be the podcast or like Into the Dark. Uh, I would I would love to hear any like any feedback if you watch this stuff. I would love to hear your feedback from it, and that goes for the audience as well. If if there are things on here that you were not aware of, and 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 this recommendation kind of pushed you forward to that, please send us both me and Jay. I, we want to hear what you got to say because this this is stuff like like we said. What am I missing? I feel like you're missing out if you haven't seen this stuff. 
Yeah, very much, man. So I, again, Mike, I've really enjoyed these, these conversations and talking with you and definitely come on again another time and looking forward to having you on film strip as well. We're kind of working on that behind the scenes and getting the scheduling together, but I'm uh, looking forward to having you come over to, to my side of the, the podcast uh, world here and, and talk, uh, talk through a movie of, of your choice to get into, but uh, I really enjoyed chatting with you. And again, I, I put it out there. I mean, art is for us to consume and discuss folks. So please you know, let us know what, what you think about it. And uh, I appreciate all the feedback as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and just talking about when, when I come onto your show, that's definitely going to be super surreal. Like hearing myself come from the uh, film strip or continuous play, you know, podcast feed, but, uh, but yeah, so, and I've, we've been talking for almost three hours now, like just kind of like peek behind the curtain. Cause we did our part one and part two, like back to back. And I've had, it, it doesn't feel like we, I've been sitting here for three hours. Like I've had, I've had so much fun talking with you, getting to know you, Jay. And it, it like I said, it's, it's surreal to be able to talk with you. One of my favorite podcasters and, and favorite shows and, and what was a true inspiration for, for this show. So I just thank you again for reaching out to me and, and you beat me to the punch and, and, and in reaching out. So I'm glad we were able to do this. Well, again, thanks. The pleasure was all mine, man. And I appreciate all the support and the long-term support for Filmstrip and, and, you know, what uh, me and Brian and the other guys have been doing for all these years. I mean, we do it because we like doing it and we like talking to each other about movies. And, we, you know, there's been, you know, the small corner of the world that's found us and enjoys it as well. And that, you know, that's what we enjoy and what we're putting pot content together for. And, we, you know, we took a good time off and we're glad to get back and, with recharge batteries and do new stuff. So we're glad to, to put it back out there. And thanks for giving me the avenue to promote it as well as we relaunch back into the podcast world. Oh, yeah, of course. And just one more time, just to remind the viewers, where can we find you on social media if they want to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, follow the show, Filmstrip Podcast, at Filmstrip Pod. Uh, the website is filmstrippodcast.com. If you search for Filmstrip Podcast, it's in the links of the show, like Mike said, but you search that on your pod feed and you'll find us. We uh, are relaunching the show Memorial Day weekend of uh, 2019, and we're going to be every two weeks with a new movie review and uh, some different stuff. And so you'll you get our whole pack catalog that way. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Skipworth as well, and uh, look forward to uh, meeting more of you out there. All right, awesome. And, and once again, everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Very much appreciate the support. You can follow our show at Pod on Twitter, or you can email us with, with any comments, questions, or concerns at theamateurautorspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, everyone, we'll see you next time, and thanks for the support.